Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. Today we are talking about all things learning culture and how to find out if the company you are interviewing with or working for uh, actually has one. And uh, before we start, well, two things before we start, you might hear some noise. I have the noisiest neighbors on all sides. Uh, So we're in a a month-to-month apartment right now waiting to move into our, our house in Austin. And above us and both sides of us, we get all the noise. So if you hear any background noise, I apologize on behalf of of my neighbors. But before we start, number two, you know, I love to celebrate my clients. And this week I want to celebrate some small wins. So I think over the last couple of weeks, I've really highlighted some of the big wins that my clients have had. And you know, I feel like every single week there's big, huge wins. But we, when I coach one-on-one, we celebrate all the small wins, like the smallest little movement in the right direction. You know, my clients know I call it the momentum train. Um, once that momentum train starts to get going, we celebrate all of the wins. So when it comes to small wins this week, here, I can already hear in the background, the washing machine next door going off. So. <laughs> Uh, But when it comes to small wins this week, I really want to focus on the efforts that my clients have been doing when it comes to networking. So one of the things that I do with my one-on-one clients is a complete resume and LinkedIn refresh. So we rebrand, refresh, redo, basically introduce the world to the new you once we figure out what your niche is. And one of my clients in just after one session um, has increased her LinkedIn connections with her new LinkedIn and has connected with several people in one of the companies that she applied to. So a company she's really excited about, she's connected with people and actually real connections. So we go through in our one-on-one coaching how to have these real meaningful connections, not just meaningless, let me connect with you and move on. So what I do is I create create an individualized strategy for each of my clients when it comes to networking. So to see her hard work pay off after only one session on networking has been really, really exciting. And in a similar fashion, one of my clients went viral. And when I mean viral, I had millions of views of her posts on LinkedIn. And because of that, so that was great in some sense, but because of that, she got thousands of requests and pretty much accepted all of them. Now, I'm not saying to disregard every single request you get, but when you have a post that goes viral, you're getting thousands and thousands of requests to to connect with you. It waters down your network. And I do talk a lot about your network being your net worth. And when it's watered down, it's really hard to see opportunities to actually connect with meaningful content that you want to engage with. So she had a very diluted network, if we want to put it that way. And so we spent a session going through that together 
And literally in just a couple days, as she went through, she cleaned up her network uh, using the rule of thirds. So I have a whole podcast episode on the rule of thirds. So I think it's episode... Ooh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but find it. Um, it's like all about networking. And um, you know, we, she applied the principles and she's already made some great connections that have led to two job interviews this week. So in just, so that was last Thursday, two Thursdays ago, it was less than a week. So in less than a week, uh, she's now already seen the fruits of her labor in cleaning up and undiluting her network and has two job interviews this week because of that. So this is part of what we do together and part of my one-on-one coaching. We figure out the best way to market you strategically so that job offers come to you, so that you see job offers before other people do. So if you're ready to take the next step in your career, I only have a few spots left for one-on-one coaching. Uh, so I'm very selective over how many people I take at one time. I really give my all. Um, you get one-on-one coaching with me an hour each week, but I spend hours every week for my clients on job boards, connecting with people, connecting you with people. So it's, you know, you actually get a lot of time with me. Um, so I only have a few spots open. So go to the uh, overnighttrainer.com. So www.theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching. And you can schedule your free consultation call. So if you scroll to the bottom of overnighttrainer.com, theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching, and uh, click at the bottom where it says schedule a consultation call. It's absolutely free. It's a great time for us to figure out if coaching is right for you. Uh, I only take on clients who, you know, it's a mutual understanding and a mutual you know, relationship. We're in this together. So again, theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching free consultation call, uh, schedule it today and we can get you started in your new career. So on to today's episode, we are talking all things learning culture. And first, before we dive deep into figuring out how to know if the company you're interviewing with or the company that you're uh, currently working for has a learning culture, I want to dive into what a learning culture is and why it's important to have one, especially being in learning and development. So to me, a learning culture is a culture where learning is supported and encouraged at all levels of the organization. So what I mean by all levels of the organization, I really look at it's supported by the top, right? So your C-suite, the owners, the um, president, all of those people who are your senior, senior leadership are supporting learning efforts. Uh, they encourage learning efforts. Then you have people who are mid-level managers that are supporting it. So people who are you know, onboarding people are supporting it. Uh, other departments support it. Uh, they're all about you know, creating learning and a learning culture. And then of course the employees support it as well. So it's supported and encouraged at all levels of the organization. And a Harvard Business Review article defined, has a really great uh, definition of learning culture. And they define it as a culture that supports an open mindset, an independent quest for knowledge, and shared learning directed towards the mission and goals of the organization. So I love that. I love really looking at those three, you know, three to four uh, key points here. So it supports an open mindset. So on that you know, being open, being curious to learning, an independent quest for knowledge, so giving people autonomy over their learning, uh, and a shared learning directed towards the mission and the goals of the organization. So we're all in this together. We all have a shared mission. We're all to have a shared vision. How can we learn to become better and to create a better organization? So those three things are really, really important when it comes to learning culture. Now let's talk about why it's important to have one. If you, especially in L&D, in general, it's really important, but 
for those of you that are in L&D or want to get into L&D, it's really, really important to join a company that has a learning culture. Because if you don't have a learning culture, it's an uphill battle as a learning and development professional. So I've worked in organizations where learning was a punishment uh, or completely structured and only focused on creating required compliance training. And the problem with that is that when you're only creating training to keep you out of trouble, quote unquote, your learners aren't engaged and they don't have that independent quest for knowledge that the Harvard Business Review article was referencing, right? So training does not want to be seen as a punishment or, oh, I only do training when it's required for a law or for compliance or to keep the company out of trouble. That is an immediate red flag that a company does not have a learning culture. So how does that affect your role? So if your organization, especially your role as, like I said, L&D, so if your role doesn't have a learning culture, you will most likely in your role as an L&D professional, no matter what it is. So you could be an instructional designer, an e-learning developer, a facilitator, a LMS administrator, the head of learning and development. It doesn't matter what your role is. If your organization does not have a learning culture, you will most likely become an order taker. You might be wondering, what's wrong with that? <laughs> like, I'm good at taking orders. I'm good at doing projects. And the reality is in an organization where there isn't a strong learning culture, learning initiatives usually come as directives from operations rather than as problems that need to be solved. So for example, let's say the marketing team isn't producing enough leads. An organizational directive for training may look like, training department, make a training on how to create leads for everyone on the marketing team who generates less than 100 leads per day. So it may not sound so bad, right? So operations and saying, hey, okay, the marketing team isn't generating enough leads. The expectation is that I generate more than 100 leads per day. So obviously they're not, they don't know how to do it, which is an assumption we'll talk about in a second. Um, so make training on how to create leads and everyone who isn't creating that number of leads will have to take this training. And so it may not sound so bad to some of you, and especially if you're just getting into learning and development, it may seem normal that that directive would come from operations, but let me tell you why it is problematic. So first and foremost in the situation, and this situation happens everywhere, not everywhere, that's a, that has happens a lot. And so it's not a rarity that this would happen, I think is a better way of putting that. So the reason why it's problematic is several things. First and foremost, training is being seen as a punishment. You did something bad, AKA got less than a hundred leads. And so now you need to take training. So it reinforces the idea that training is bad, that training is for when you are bad rather than being celebrated. So being used for remediation instead of that quest for learning, right? Instead of growth. So when it's being seen as a punishment, think about when you're a kid, right? Things that were a punishment are not things that you typically liked to do. And it, you know, it teaches you that I don't want to do this again because I don't want that punishment, right? So we, we don't want people to feel, I don't want, I don't, that training is a punishment, so I don't want to take training. I don't want to learn. Learning's a punishment. It creates a very, very, very bad culture and a bad reputation for learning and the learning department. Um, so the number two issue with that is that operations is, or your stakeholders, whoever they are, they are dictating the subject. So I always challenge people to think, how do we know, we'll use the same example before of marketing not generating enough leads or less than 100 leads. How do we know in fact that these people who are generating less than 100 leads don't know how to create leads, right? That's an assumption like I was saying before. 
So this is where training can come in and ask strategic questions and do a needs analysis to identify the root cause. So after doing some research, it could be that this group is missing one step in the process. So we don't need to do a whole training on how to generate leads. Maybe it's one particular step in the process that the team is struggling with. Maybe it wasn't covered in their onboarding, right? So all we have to do is create, whether it's a training, a job aid, you know, set them up with a coach, whatever the solution may be, that it might be only that one step. So we don't have to create a whole training, right? Because if it's just one step out of 10, you're going to lose them. If step one through eight is what they need to know, nine they missed and 10 they got, one through eight, they're going to be sitting through it like, why am I here? Again, this is a punishment. I already know this. So it could be one step. It could be that they have competing priorities and struggle with time management. So maybe a time management training or course would be more suitable. Or maybe that it's the software is running slow and it has nothing to do with training whatsoever, right? So it's our jobs in learning and development, no matter what your position is, right? To really be able to figure out what is the root cause of the problem, not to be told from operations, from your stakeholders, create a training on this, right? They are oftentimes making the assumptions. So creating training is problematic because then based on, on your stakeholders telling you what the training solution is, right? It's problematic because you don't, you're not, you don't really know what the root cause is. And so if we can't get to the root cause, then training ends up becoming a moot point. So they're sitting through it. Like, I know all of this, this isn't the problem. The problem is that I have too many competing priorities and I don't know how to juggle them. So you're creating training that has zero relevance. And so people are sitting through training they don't find relevant. They don't, you don't create a culture of learning that way. And the third point here is that training, like we kind of just mentioned, might not even be the solution. And it perpetuates number one as training being seen as a punishment. And what that does is it creates an anti-learning culture where learners, managers, and the organizations don't see the benefit of learning and don't encourage or reward it. So in that situation we're talking about, about marketing not generating enough leads or people on the marketing team not generating enough leads, right? If we create this training on how to generate leads and it's what they already know, what, what happens is, is that's not the problem, right? Maybe the problem is time management, right? But we're creating that training based on what our, our, we're being order takers, right? And we're creating that training on how to generate leads. It's not actually solving the problem. So what happens is, is that they take this training that's supposed to solve the problem, but nothing changes. So then training is looked at as, okay, well, they made a training on it. Obviously it didn't work, right? So the, the training becomes the scapegoat. And so we then as training professionals get looked at as, well, we don't create good training. Our training doesn't work. Uh, so it really perpetuates the culture that learning is bad and learning doesn't work. And that's what we really want to break. So we want the, we want learners, managers, and organizations to see the benefit. So I hope you see why it's problematic to have an L&D job at a company that doesn't have a learning culture. So it'll burn you out. I mean, that's the reality is it will absolutely burn you out because those of us in L&D, right, we wanna help people. We wanna see the impact on people and the impact on the organization. And if we are order takers, it's very hard to do that because we don't have a seat at the table and we're not able to use our strategic thinking skills to really be able to create 
impactful learning. And again, this is from a this is from the perspective of if a company doesn't have a learning culture. So there are a lot of companies out there that have a learning culture that sees learning as an arm of the of the company that really truly sees it as a support. So I don't want you to think there aren't companies out there because there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of companies out there that have a very strong learning culture that will give you a seat at the table that will not be an or not make you be an order taker so this is really to understand though that there are companies where training is seen as order takers and how to avoid working for one of those companies if you don't want to work there so it's problematic because a lot of times in l d we want to create that impact and if we can't create that impact because we're just taking orders it can burn us out and it can burn you out really, really fast. And I'm sure you've heard the analogy of being on the never ending hamster wheel. I'm sure you've heard the analogy of drinking from a fire hose. Well, when you work in L&D for a company that does not value learning, you are literally doing both at the same time. So you're on that never ending hamster wheel drinking from a fire hose. So does not sound fun at all. And so how do we avoid this? So first and foremost, it starts in the interview process. And remember, when you are interviewing for a role, especially a role in learning and development, you are interviewing the company just as much as they are interviewing you. So I'm gonna give you 10 questions. You don't have to ask all 10 of these questions or maybe throughout your interview process because typically I'm sure you're meeting with a couple different people. Uh, also when you're networking, these are great questions to ask if you're trying to figure out if a company would be a good fit. I'm gonna give you 10 questions to think about to identify if a company has a learning culture. So the first question is, how do people in the organization feel about training? And I always find that's really telling, right? Because like, oh, they're so excited. Like, they just can't wait. They're so hungry. That's a sign to me that there's a learning, uh, a learning culture, right? That learning is celebrated. People are hungry. People want it. Uh, it may not mean, mean that they have learning, all the answers to learning, but it means that there's people who are hungry in the organization who want to learn, and they're being celebrated, and they're being heard for, being, for wanting to learn. So I think that's a really good sign. Um, second number two is how much time is made for training, right? So training, learning that takes time. It's not easy. It's not something that comes to you, you know, you read one thing and all of a sudden you're completely trained up. So what is the onboarding period? How much time is dedicated to learning each week? You know, the goal is to obviously make learning available in the flow of work, but is, is there time carved out for people to learn? I think um, Apple is a really great example. I, when I was uh, living in California and working uh, in Los Angeles, I interviewed someone who worked at Apple and they had told me about how Apple, before you get there, you know, before you start your shift, you have dedicated learning time. And I found that so interesting where it was, you know, you're not distracted by being out on the floor. You're not distracted by guests and customers. You know, you have dedicated time, whether it's 10 minutes, right? Five minutes an hour, it doesn't matter sometimes, right? Like you can learn something pretty quickly and go back to it again the next day. But they had a really strong learning culture of before your shift starts, you're going to learn something. You're going to spend, we're going to give you that autonomy in that time. So I think that showed, you know, how much Apple, specifically that store, but how much Apple invested in their employees and how important learning was that they're actually paying them to learn on the clock. So a very important question to ask. So Number one, how do people in the organization feel about training? Number two, how much time is made for training? Number three, how is continuous learning rewarded and celebrated? All right, so we talked about before is, is training a punishment? 
right? Is that something where if people do something wrong, they have to go to training or is, is learning something new rewarded, right? Is that shouted out? Is that celebrated, right? Do managers talk about it in their one-on-ones? Do people get shouted out throughout the company for learning something new or applying something new. So understanding the reward cycle, the celebration cycle around learning really helps to highlight and outline, is this a company that celebrates learning? And if it does, it probably has a learning culture. Uh, Number four is how does feedback look like within the organization? So you can pretty much tell if it's, if it's not a feedback heavy organization, they probably don't value learning as much. So that's a huge part of learning is giving feedback, giving and receiving feedback. So not only are you training people on how to give and receive feedback, but you're giving feedback in the moment is a huge, huge part of training. So if it's and learning, so if it's not a feedback oriented organization, most likely it doesn't have that learning culture where it's celebrated to give and receive feedback and to grow from that. It might be an organization where feedback is looked at as a punishment or you only get feedback when you do something wrong, right? So you want to look for an organization that is a feedback organization that they welcome feedback, constructive feedback, positive feedback. And it's all about, you know, how do we move each other forward through giving feedback? Number five, what does training for senior leadership and executives look like? So in this question, you were finding out, do leaders lead by example? You know, I worked for a company where the C-suite went through everything before everyone else did, right? They had executive leadership training, that they had coaches, that they had mentors, right? And that, and, and they talked about it. So I think that's a huge thing too. It's not only it's in secret, but it's saying, hey, I'm not perfect either. That It's funny, I always say it too. I'm a coach, but I have a coach, right? So coaches need coaches, leaders need leaders. You know, it's... Not everyone knows everything. None of us invented any of these things. So especially, you know, being a CEO, you didn't invent being a CEO. You might have invented your company, but you didn't invent being a leader, right? Someone else has done that before you and done it better. So, you know, what does the senior leadership training look like? You know, is it an organization where senior leaders are exempt from everything, right? To me, that's a big red flag. Senior leaders don't have to take training here, but everyone else does. Um, Again, that doesn't say that they're leading by example. So, you know, I, again, worked for a company where, the senior leadership was very open about the different, you know, techniques that they use, the books that they read, right? It doesn't even have to be that we're, oh, we're taking this long course or, you know, we're sitting through sales class. It could be, you know, hey, this month I read this book on breaking habits or creating good habits or, you know, on leadership or giving feedback, whatever it may, on business, right? But that they're showing that they're growing and that learning is important to them as well. So number six is what is the expertise of the training team? So those first questions are good to ask for uh, like to a recruiter. So maybe during an initial screening, asking a couple of those questions. Again, those questions are good to ask for people that you're networking with, that you connect with uh, to find out more about the organization. But when you're talking to the hiring manager on the L&D team, asking the question, what is the expertise of the training team? will also talk a lot about what their learning culture is and What I found is that when they are only focused on hiring people who are subject matter experts in their industry and not focused on hiring learning and development professionals uh, or people who have learning and development expertise, so you don't even need to be a learning and development professional yet, but for example, if you're a teacher, you have a lot of learning and development expertise. So if they're focused on hiring subject matter experts and not on hiring for 
functional expertise in learning and development, to me that's a red flag also, right? So it says to me that they are more focused on the actual industry and on checking the boxes to make sure someone has subject matter expertise than creating an actual functioning learning department where people can can learn and grow. And some people might disagree with me on, on that. And, and I and I I'm open to to feedback on that. But for me, having been a subject matter expert and having no idea what the hell I was doing um, until you know, someone took a chance on me. And, and luckily for me, my supervisor had a very, very, very strong background in learning and development, right? So I think if it's a team where it's a a mix and people who are subject matter experts that want to get into learning and development uh, want that role and there's someone there to help develop them and guide them, totally fine, right? To me, that says an organization that cares about the people who are already there. It's someone who they want to invest in. I think that's great. But I think if they're only looking, if it's a, uh, the entire department is made up of people who were former subject matter experts who have kind of gotten pushed into a training role, that's a red flag to me. Uh, that it, the company didn't care enough to invest in, invest in them in general, uh, but to invest in people from the outside the organization, from outside the industry, to really grow and create a learning culture and a learning organization. What happens when you have only subject matter experts is it creates a very much a, a very silo and a very operations heavy heavy training department. It doesn't create a learning culture. So that was number six. Number seven, uh, this is one of my favorite questions is, and I've talked about this actually before, but is how is the training team developed? So how is the learning and development department, uh, how are they developed? You know, I I told you I used to have a boss that um, used to say that L&D is often the cobbler's kids with no shoes and that, you know, we're running around training everyone else, but we never really get trained. And I've always, it's so true in so many places, right? In places that don't have a good learning culture, right? But I've worked in places that have had great learning culture where it's been all about how do we build up? How do we develop, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. So if you don't, if you're not up to date and up to skill when it comes to learning and development, how can your company be up to date, right? So you're, if you're not where you need to be, there's no way that you can get your company where they need to be. And you're not going to be able to create a learning culture using, you know, baseline old knowledge, right? You have to evolve. Learning and development is evolving. It feels like every day, like every second it's evolving, right? There's new models, new theories. There's so many new new ideas and there's not one that's better than the other, right? But it's knowing what is going to work for your organization and how do you move forward with a modern learning experience. So if the training team has never developed, right? So if you're not attending conferences or if there's no personal development plan for each person, um, if there's not group trainings, right? If the head of learning isn't you know, meeting with everyone and going through these development plans, that is a huge red flag, right? To me, that says they're cop- these are cobbler's kids with no shoes, right? You got you don't want to be running around barefoot in in this organization. So, you know, asking how is the training team developed will show you that you know if a training team is is developed, they are going to develop the rest of the company. So, if the company sees See, has faith in the training department to budget and say, hey, we're going to give you guys X amount of dollars per year. Um, and to invest in yourselves and the department runs with that, that shows me that this is a company that values training in general and wants its training department to be the best that it could be. Um, 
So I think that's a really important question. Number eight is how is learning and development a business partner? So we talked earlier about being order takers versus business partners. And you know, every organization, it's gonna look different, um, but at, at organizations where there is a strong learning culture, learning and development not only has a seat at a table, at the, the table, the proverbial table, um, but they're being heard as well, right? So there's different phases of having a seat at the table. There's having no seat at the table. Um, there's you know having a window into the conference room. Then there's having a seat at the table, but you're still being told what to do, right? But then there's having a voice at the table. And so, to have a really great, strong learning culture, you need to have a leader who has a voice at the table. So how is L&D a business partner? And that leads us to number nine question is, the ninth question is how do you analyze what needs to be trained on, right? So those two kind of go hand in hand. So the first is how is L&D a business partner? A great answer to that is, you know, we partner strategically with each of the departments. We have a great intake process. Uh, we, we utilize our skills to you know, really figure out the root cause of the problem. Our leadership comes to us with problems, not solutions to training. And you know, that to me shows that it's a business, a trusted business partner within the organization. But number nine, how do you analyze what needs to be trained on, right? Really is a great, an easy question to ask. Like it, the answer might be, oh, no, we don't, we just get told what needs to be trained on, right? Not a strong learning culture. Or you know, we get told a business problem and we do a deep dive on it, right? We go and, and again, deep dive can be different in every organization, right? A deep dive might be that you're having a, just a longer conversation with a stakeholder or you're doing a true full needs or in a gap analysis, right? So it can, it can vary, but you want to know that a company is actually finding the root cause of the problem and creating training around that if needed <laughs> episode for another day. Um, not just being told there's this problem, here's the solution, make the solution I said. And lastly, number 10 is what metrics are looked at to determine if a training was successful. So in an organization where heads are counted, so meaning participation is counted, and that's the only way that they're able to identify if a training was successful, gives me pause. I wouldn't say it's of the biggest red flag to say that, you know, they don't have a learning culture, but a learning culture really dives deeper to measure what's the impact on the people within the organization and what's the impact on the people themselves uh, when it comes to, to learning. So if they're saying, oh, we look at, you know, last year we taught 400 classes and we had 1,000 participants, that's nice. Um, but what did those participants learn, right? How did they grow? How did it impact the business? You know, what was their, even, even when we get to the step two, right? Like what was their experience on the training? So I think it's just really, really important to look at what metrics are being looked at to determine if training was successful. If it's just seats and heads in seats or heads in virtual training, you know, to me, that's one of what could be many signs that it's not a learning culture. So there's 10 questions, I'll repeat them again. Um, how do people in the organization feel about training? How much time is made for training? How is continuous learning rewarded and celebrated? What does feedback look like within the organization? What does training for senior leadership and executives look like? What is the expertise of the training team? How is the training team developed? How is learning and development a business partner? How do you analyze what needs to be trained on? And what metrics are looked at to determine if training was successful? So again, you know, there's some of these here that would be instant red flags to me. So, you know, Number one, how do people in the organization feel about training? If they're like, everyone hates training, training sucks, no one believes in it, it's the worst thing ever, red flag. Um, 
you know, if it's a, again, what does feedback look like in the organization? We don't give feedback. That's a red flag. Uh, expertise of the training team to me is, is a usually a red flag if it's only people who have been industry experts and no one with training development. Um, and then that following question is that, and then no one's been developed. Uh, so I think you can become a subject, be a subject matter expert and become an excellent, excellent trainer. Um, speaking from personal experience. Uh, so I think that's a really, you know, a, a red flag. LED being a business partner is a red flag as well. So those are kind of your, your main ones there that would kind of instantly tell you if there's a learning culture or not. And then kind of those side up follow-up questions, you know, how much time is made for training, what metrics are looked at to determine if training was successful, um, how is continuous learning rewarded and celebrated. There's, those are some good follow-up questions. So um, if you're getting a good answer for those kind of main questions and you want to follow up with more, I, I suggest following up with those. So that's how to, again, you're you're interviewing a company as much as they are interviewing you. And if you are in L&D and you're looking for a, a new role, it's really challenging to, it's challenging in general, period, <laughs> job hunting, I, I know for sure. Uh, but you have to find that right company. And the right company is often one that will support what your role is in the organization. And that's what I focus on a lot with my clients is, you know, we want to obviously, we want it to be the company to be aligned values wise, but also the training department, right? So that's it. You want to know that within this great company, your department is valued, which means that your work is valued and you are valued there. So you might already be in an L&D role and realizing oh shit, <laughs> my company definitely does not have a learning culture. So with that, I do offer two pieces of advice. So first, see what you can do to impact and create a learning culture. So it doesn't happen overnight. This, these things take time. So if you love your company in so many different ways, but you're like, wow, I really don't have a learning culture and I want to work on that, um, asking yourself if you're in a position to implement something that celebrates learning. So for example, something small that you can do is highlight someone different in your organization each month for learning something new. Um, maybe try to get a senior leader involved into it, right? What's something they read or an article they read? Share that with the company, you know, write a little blurb about it. You know, CEO Bob Smith's favorite articles of the month um, and sharing that with people, right? So, or highlighting, you know, line worker Jill Jones, you know, watch this TED talk and it was incredible. This is what she learned from it. So, you know, something as small as that is being able to share and celebrate learning can really help to create a learning culture. The second thing is you can ask yourself, can you start to identify ways training is having an impact versus just counting how many trainings were completed? You know, are you in a position to start asking more questions to senior leaders to identify training needs versus just create a training as directed? So if you can do some of those things, you can really help impact the culture and the learning culture. And if you can take the opportunity to do that, you know, another small step, like one small step could lead to another. And in time, you can really, truly have a huge effect on the learning culture in your organization. So if you can make any of those small steps, if you can start to celebrate learning in a small way, if you can start to identify ways training is having an impact versus just counting how many trainings were completed. Uh, I did this actually with a, with a client. We looked at you know the last 
she didn't have a lot of data and numbers, but we looked at the last 10 people that went through the learning program. And you know, it's an organization where they did a lot of informal interviews. And so I asked her some more questions about, okay, how many people said that they needed more training? How many people said they needed less training? And so we were able to really dive deep and actually create some analytics around it. So start to identify ways training's having an impact. You know, Start asking more questions to senior leaders if you can to identify training needs. So if you can do any of those things or all of those things and just take those small steps, it really can have a big effect on learning culture in your organization. And if not, <laughs> if you have no ability to do that or you're not given the room to do that, it might be time to take a look at if this is the right company for you. And there are plenty, there may be plenty of good reasons that it is. So I'm not saying just because your company, if you're an L&D and your company has a bad learning culture that you need to leave, that is by far not what I am saying. Uh, but if you are feeling burnt out in your role, if you are feeling not seen, not heard, you're creating learning programs that have no impact on people in the organization, your company not having a culture of learning could be a major reason to blame. So keep that in mind. I'm not advocating for just because your company doesn't have a learning culture, you have to leave it. But if you are really struggling with the fact that your your programs and your learning, what you're creating isn't having an impact because you are just order takers and there is no culture of learning in your organization, it may be time to look for a new role. And of course, you know, if you are looking for a new role, <laughs> you want a new role in a company that prioritizes learning to learning, like let's work together. I, I talk with this, my clients all the time. We don't, I do not advise my clients to apply for every single job they see that fits their requirements. As far as the job description goes, we dive deep and make sure we're applying for the right role at the right company. Cause there's the right role at the wrong company. And that ends up terrible 9.9 .9 times out of 10. Right. And then there's the wrong role at the right company, which, has a little bit of a better success rate, but we look for the right role at the right company. So let's work together. If you are like, oh man, I need to get out of my company or oh man, I wanna make sure that I do not apply for a job or get hired at a company that has a bad learning culture. Let's work together. Let's do this together. Um, you can schedule a free consultation call with me on my website. Like I mentioned before, theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching. I would love to work with you. I would love to help you find the right role at the right company that celebrates learning. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.